0: Um, So we are in the middle of a uh, a series talking about slavery to sonship, talking about changing um, our uh, understanding of God from king, which is right to see him as that, but also to see God as father, to change our understanding of ourselves as as orphans and servants to seeing ourselves as sons, as daughters. As we begin to shift how we, enter, how we have this relationship with God, it changes everything about us. If we truly move from an understanding of God as king to God as father, if we move from an understanding of ourselves as orphans to ourselves as heirs, we will never be the same. Last week we... Um, talks a little bit about what it's like to be an heir and we kind of line that up against what it would be like to be an orphan. And today I want to take that from kind of a, a head thing to more of a, a heart thing uh, to move it a little bit deeper into who we are as people in Romans chapter eight, Paul says this. So dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do for if you keep on following it, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it, and its evil deeds you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children and since we are his children. We will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his son, Christ, is ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, in this, the key thing that we need to hear is that we are adopted into the family of God, that we are children of God. And if we're children of God, we begin. We need to begin to act like children of God. One of the things that is important, Paul mentions in Hebrews, is this word, submit. Submission. In order to be a child of God, you must submit. Now, the word submission, that, that idea of submission, submit, in our world has taken on this kind of negative terminology. Because it's been abused. We have this word, submit. And when you think of submit, a lot of times you think of someone cowering underneath an angry, powerful person. Submit to my will. When you hear that, a lot of times, because we've abused it so frequently, we turn away and recoil from it. So much so that one of the most beloved scriptures that God could give us for husband and wife is so infrequently used in weddings because the word submission is there. If this were my original wedding ring, it is not. If you've come here for any length of time, you know where my original one lies. It lies in the Devil's River. Very appropriate, I think. But um, it would have the date of my wedding inscribed in it as well as a scripture, Ephesians 5, from Ephesians book 5. In that scripture, it says the roles of husband and wife. And it talked about wives submitting to husbands. And this is where people are like, whoa, that's like 1950s talk, Crocker. I'm a free woman. And the fact of the matter is, if you really read through that scripture, you see two things. One, that wives are to submit to husbands, but two, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church, willing to give their life. It is both submissive, both of them. The word submit in Greek that is used in that Hebrew scripture in chapters 12, it means to get underneath and push up. That's what the word in Greek means. This is the word that the scripture is giving us. Not to cower down and be stepped on. It means to get underneath and push up. So, from a spousal standpoint, from relationships and marriage, what if you began to look at your spouse And submit to them. What if you began to love them in a submissive way? Not a subversive way, but submissive. What if we began to see our spouse and to love them? As this Catholic priest once told me, a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage is when spouses look at one another. And I look at Jenna and I say, how can I love you? So that you can be more the person God desires you to be. Not how can I love you so that I can make you who I want you to be. I try that. It doesn't work. Not how can you love me to make me more who I want to be. It's not about getting. It's about giving. How can I love you to make you More the daughter that God wants you to be. And her job is to do the same for me. How can I love you, Michael, to make you more the son God desires you to be? If we began to live our relationship that way, if our marriage functions at that level, dude, y'all want to hang out with us, you know? You want to rub off on some of the love at the Crocker house. Is what I'm saying. If we all begin to look at our spouses that way, if we all begin to have this submissive idea that we're getting underneath and pushing up, what is it that I can do to love you, to help you be more the person God wants you to be? Now take that out of the marriage context. And put it into just your normal life. We are all called to do two things. Love God, love others. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to throw our lives into these two very things. If we do so with this submissive attitude... I think we've got it there's a great example of this in scripture it comes from the book of first samuel david has been anointed the future king but in the meantime saul is still king saul doesn't like this fact if you know the story and he sets out to kill david now david runs around and he's got his 600 men and they kind of move from different place to different place. there's two times two instances where david has an opportunity to kill saul The first one, Saul is camped in this cave. David and a couple of his men go up and and Saul's asleep. And he goes into the cave where Saul lies. And he goes up so close that he is able to take a corner of his robe and cut it. And he takes the corner of the robe. And his friends are like, here it is. Kill him. This is your chance. Kill Saul. He's trying to kill you. He's chasing you up and down the desert trying to kill you. Finally, you're going to be king. Next, kill him. Let's get this party started. But what David does is he cuts the piece of the robe. It's probably his prayer shawl, his sees maybe off even. He cuts this really intimate part of Saul's clothing off. And if you remember the story, what does David immediately do? He regrets it. He's filled with sorrow for what he just did. And he leaves, and his friends are like, whoa, what just happened? And David says, that's God's anointed king. He's trying to kill me, yes, but I'm not going against God, so I'm going to get underneath and push up because that is the king that God put in power. The guy who wanted to kill David was still his spiritual authority, and so David submitted I don't think that any of us find ourselves in that circumstance. But we live in a world in which there are people who have authority over us. We don't necessarily always like it, we don't necessarily agree with it. But if it's our place where God has called us to get underneath and to push up, we need to submit. Here's what happens. When you submit, it doesn't really necessarily do anything for you. It it, it does. But it does a whole lot more for the person above you. If you come underneath and say, hey, how can I help you achieve the vision that you have? I just run into this recently with um, someone in the business world. It doesn't go to church here, but... Um, He and I talk from time to time. He has a pretty high up powerful job at this company and um, his boss came to him recently and and said that he wanted him to change positions, essentially to demote him and to put him out at another part of the company. And the guy's telling me he's like, man, my head is swimming right now. I'm so confused. I, I just I'm so like tense. I mean, is he trying to get rid of me or what's happening and all these questions are going on. And I, and I said, you know, I, I know this terminology is going to sound weird to you, but can I can I preach at you for a second? He's like, this is why I talk to you. So, um, not because he enjoys my company, I guess. But <clears throat> I said, I think you're looking at this from an orphan standpoint and, and not from an heir. He just stares at me. Here, here's what I mean. You're looking at this from... Uh, from a standpoint that your job is what gives you identity. And you feel like right now you're having to fight and scratch and, and hang on to what you think defines you. When in truth, your identity comes from God. Your identity is the fact that you are a son of God. Nothing else matters. If you begin to operate out of this sense and you move over to this idea that you're an heir to the kingdom of heaven, you change jobs who cares? You say it, great. How can I help you? How can I get underneath and push up? What is it that can what is it that you need me to do to get underneath and push up and just and just go? Because that, this job, this thing right here, it doesn't matter. Your identity is already set. Your inheritance, as we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, is there already. Paul says it here, right here. Everything that God has, he gave to Christ and us too. The guy says, so you mean I need to start seeing this with a little bit more freedom? I went, ooh, exactly. When you live as an heir, when you live as a daughter, when you live as a son, you live into freedom. You live into freedom. It doesn't mean that when you submit, when you get underneath and you push up, that you disappear. Because a good father, a good mother, wants nothing more than for their child to succeed. Jack Frost, in his book, when he's talking about all of this, says that there is a huge lack of the father's heart in the church and in the world. That there's just like this void, this vacuum of the Father's love. And what he means by that, I think, is that for too long the church has condemned instead of loved. For too long the church has excluded instead of included. For too long we have pointed fingers instead of opening arms for too long we have been orphans and fought for our identity we have fought to say that we stand on the truth when we don't have to we have fought to claim that we're sons and daughters instead of actually living as sons and daughters In order to be a good father, we need to learn how to be a good child. If you look at Jesus, Jesus always pointed back to the Father. When somebody would shower something upon him, he would always go, Everything I have is because of the Father. Always he would point back. Always he would point back. If we want to be a good father, because he was a good father to the disciples. If we want to be a good father, we need to know how to be a good son, a good daughter. We need to know how to live into this idea that we don't have to fight any longer, that we just need to love, that we just need to submit. And as we become good sons and daughters and we become good fathers and mothers, we begin to shake the foundation of the world. We begin to do as the disciples did after Jesus left them and change the face of the world. That people would get Jesus, understand Jesus, know Jesus, and understand that they are sons and daughters. If you know the story of the early church, they went into these places that were pagan upon pagan upon pagan. And they come in with the love of Christ And they changed people's hearts. Why? Because they were good sons and daughters. And then they became good fathers and mothers. The first thing we need to realize is that we are no longer orphans, but we are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. That we are sons and daughters. We need to realize that we don't have to fight any longer we need to change the way we interact with one another. As we begin to see these relationships no longer as people who are our competitors in this world. But who are our brothers and sisters. We begin to see one another through the lens of God. And how can I love you? To make you more the person God desires you to be. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. For the examples that you have given us. For those spiritual fathers and mothers. Who have loved us, Lord. Who have loved us in times that we probably didn't deserve love. We thank you for that. God, we thank you that... You gave your son Jesus as our ultimate example. That as we study his life, we mirror his life, that others might know of your glory. That others who are in darkness might see light. Who are in pain might find hope. God, help us to have the courage and the discipline to walk away from a life of orphan. To move into a life being a daughter, being a son of yours, our Father. We ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.